Welcome to the Like Dragons Do They Fight podcast series. Thank you for listening. I'm Karen Bridehead, the Parent Support Specialist for Life-Changing Services and Director of Mothers Who Know. I also teach Eternal Warriors as a mentor, and I've done that for years. And I'm here today with one of my dear friends who I love and respect. She's been involved in Mothers Who Know, but also has taken my Eternal Warriors class and she helps with our outreach team at Life Changing Services, and she's she's been here for a while, and she just, she's expressed to me how she feels a calling to be part of the mission of helping people and being someone who fights just the plague of pornography and what that does to people and their families, and I have so much respect and appreciation for her, and this is Linda. And I'm going to have Linda just, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself and just tell us a little bit about you and your family and anything you'd like about your background before um, you found life-changing services. Sure. Um, So I grew up in Utah and I was Utah born and bred. I did live in New York and Canada for a while before moving back to Utah. Um, I have two boys. They're both adults, and one is married, recently married. And let's see, my husband and I have moved to Oregon. We live here. We've lived here for the past couple of years. And I don't know, I've been in the fight for about five years, so, and been in Mothers Who Know probably almost as long as that. And one of the things that I appreciate about you, Linda, that I've been impressed to find to just as I've got to know you better and better is that you realizing that hey we need a support we need something to help us figure out how to help our son not without going into detail I don't need you to go into detail unless you want to but I just think I think it's significant that everybody knows what a warrior you are and that you have been through hard things before this happened I've been so impressed with that. Yeah, my son, he he was first exposed to pornography at the age of nine. And at the time, we thought, well, you know, he's just a little kid. He's just curious. And so we, we went that route with it. We didn't get angry at him or anything. Just told him, uh, that's not something you need to be looking at. And I know Marie says that kids can't be addicted until they hit puberty, but he kept looking at it. And it, it was it was like it would go a year would go by and then he would look. So it wasn't until he was until he did hit puberty that it became an addiction. And my own personal journey, um, I have had an addiction in the past. And so I knew exactly what he was going through. <clears throat> Um, the fact that he could not stop, hated himself because he did say that one time he hated himself. I knew exactly how he felt. And I think that that helped us in the long run just because of my experience with my addiction, overcoming it and using my savior and the atonement to, to overcome that. I knew exactly what he was going through and what he needed. Um, we didn't find sons of human men for a while. I didn't know what to do with a child, with a little boy. 
there's not a lot you can do. There's not a lot of resources out there. Um, in fact, I know that at Life Changing Services, Marie said they have to be 14. Um, we didn't we didn't do something until my bishop called me and said, if we, if we don't do something for your son, I think we're going to lose him. And I had been feeling the same way, so he was inspired to tell me that because I didn't know what to do. And, and one of my friends had said, well, my son is going to this group called Sons of Human. And that's the first I'd heard of it. I looked it up online. Um, back then, the website was kind of weird. <laughs> It didn't have a lot of what it has now. So, so, but I told my bishop, I said, well, I, I want to get him into a program, but I don't have the money. And he's like, I will pay for whatever you find. So, and my son was very adverse to going to a group. He did not want to talk to other people. He didn't, you know, there was a shame thing there. And I don't know. It's just, it was, it was a godsend because the first group he went to, he realized it wasn't the scary, shameful thing that he thought it would be. And the first group he he was in was with Maurice, and he loved that militant <laughs> personality that I guess not all the not all the clinicians have, but he just loved that. So, <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And how old was your boy when you found Sons of Helaman? He was fifteen. Almost, almost 16. It was, it was the spring before he turned 16. So. Right. And something you mentioned, you said that your bishop called you and said, Hey, I think we need to do something for him or we're going to lose him. So what does that look like? What did it look like in your, in your life when it looked like, I think we're going to lose him. What did it look like? What was he doing? He was, well, he was not going to church. He, he would go, but not very often. He wasn't passing the sacrament. He wasn't, I don't know. And at the time, it's hard for me to remember what he was like then because it was dark. (laughs) And my emotions were in turmoil because as you know, I don't know if you know, but as a mother of a child in addiction, you go through a gamut of emotions. You feel guilty. You feel like you should have seen this sooner, that maybe you should have done something different when he was nine and we just said, you know, he's curious, it's fine, whatever. I didn't think that that would cause a problem. And so when he, uh, I'm getting emotional. So when he became addicted, it was like kind of a shock to your system. You think your family's fine. You're doing all the things that you're supposed to do, supposedly. You know, you're righteous. You go to church. You have family home meeting. You have family prayers and scripture studies. And all of a sudden, your child comes to you and tells you that he has a friend. He did. We 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 caught him on the computer, and he finally fessed up. And then he came to me a little while after that and told me that he was having a problem with masturbation as well, which wasn't surprising but devastating at the same time. So when my bishop said we're going to lose him, he was not he was not doing what he needed to do as far as his spirituality. Like I said, he wasn't going to church. He would go one, one out of like eight weeks. He would show up. He didn't want to go because he didn't, he wasn't passing the sacrament and he hadn't been ordained as a teacher. And the Bishop told him he couldn't until he did certain things. And so he just quit going. He just gave up. 
he was suffering in school. He was, he was not going to seminary. He was, I mean, he just, he was angry all the time, fighting with us, fighting with his brother. He was just, it was just, he was just a mess. <laughs> and my bishop knew that something was going on because he wasn't going to church and he wasn't doing any of the things that he needed to be doing. And so when he said we're going to lose him, I think that's what he meant spiritually. He was going to stay in those mists of darkness. So, and and at the time, did your bishop? He knew he'd already talked to your son. He knew that there was an issue with pornography. I know. I I think so because because he knew that. Yeah, he knew what was going on because I told him that I had heard of Sons of Helaman and I thought that that was the right direction to take. And he knew what Sons of Helaman was. And he knew that he had heard of it and he knew that it was a good program. Like I said, there was a a friend in in my ward. So there was a boy in our ward that was already going to to Sons of Helaman and that they really found it valuable and stuff. and, And so... I said, it's just a financial thing. And he said, don't worry about it. Because he was willing to do whatever it would take to help my son. It was him saying, do whatever and I will pay for it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And me saying it. Because he had been in other therapy. And he he felt like he didn't need to go to therapy. Because my son, according to him, he didn't have a problem. He didn't have a thing. You know? And I'm like, well... The therapy's not bad. I'm in therapy. He goes, yeah, but mom, you have a thing. And I, because I, I suffer from depression. I'm like, oh, you want to label it? Is that what you want? <laughs> so he didn't think because he didn't have a, a thing like that, that he didn't need. And one therapist told me that she couldn't do anything with him because he was very adverse to it. Um, and so when I called Life Changing Services, I'm like, what do I do? Because he won't go. And whoever I talked to said, I can't remember who I talked to there, said, tell him he has no choice and that he's just going and you're just going to make him. And he could choose his court mission if you want, if you want to give him that. And that's why we ended up with Maurice because that's who you chose. So I said, you can choose who you go to, but other than that, you're going. So, yeah. So anyway, one of the things I'm thinking would be, it's the theme because we can see what's happening to our sons when they're getting in a darker place and going against what they know to be right. And then they notice that I'd like to stop and I can't. And then they notice that now I'm embarrassed because I can't show up the same way all the other boys do at church. And then my parents find out and I'm feel even, you know, I just feel so much shame and there's this continual thing. But what did you know about your son even though, like, who did you know he was? What had you already seen his strengths to be? Because that's something I think moms, we forget who they are when they get in that dark place. Right. A lot of times when, when you're a mom, he becomes the addiction. And that's all you're seeing. That's all you're talking about with him. That's all you're dealing with. You don't, you don't touch him by anything else. <laughs> and it's kind of a disservice to the kid because the kid, the addiction is just a tiny, tiny piece of the rock star that he is, you know. And my child, he when he is at a zero on a chemical scale, he he is a rock star. He is such a leader. 
and he can persuade people for good or for evil. He he has got that kind of potential that he he can lead a, a kid in the right direction or the wrong direction. He can just lead people the way he wants to. He is he is an advocate for the underdog. His friends in school were always the kids that were teased. That always didn't have very many friends that needed somebody to be their friend. And he can be mean if he wants to, but he can also be, he is very, very, he, like I say, he sticks up for the underdog. He will be that person's friend. And I always admired that about him because he would tell me about these kids that just, they were just sad and being teased and nobody, you know, and he didn't understand why people were doing that, you know, and so he would just, that's who he, he was friends with. Um, He's very intelligent. He was bored in school for a long time because he would finish his work and then he would just sit there and he'd get in trouble because he was so bored that he would <laughs> he would do karate in the aisles. <laughs> he'd be done with his work and he was just sitting there twiddling his thumbs. And at first they thought he had ADHD, but it turned out that he was just super smart. And so they moved him to the gifted classes. And then... <laughs> That that cured the, the karate in the aisles. <laughs> He's a very active kid. He's very he was into baseball. Um he played baseball for many years. He was a pitcher. Um and he was a very good pitcher. He didn't pursue it into high school and stuff. He wasn't it wasn't like he wanted to do it as a career or anything, but but he he's always been very athletic. Uh he, he also does photography. He has a Got a drone, a very expensive drone that he paid for it, bought himself. Um, and so he likes to do videography and stuff with that. So that's his passion project for apparently. That's what he told me. Those are so cool. So neat. Well, earlier you said just from your own experience when you noticed and you could tell this, my son is in it. He's dealing with an addiction here. You said because you'd been through that, that you knew what he was going through and you also knew what he, what he needed. So if that's something that I think all of us, you know, most moms show up with a perspective of, I can't even understand why you're even doing that, right? <laughs> yeah. and, and, I, and I don't know why you just don't stop kind of mm-hmm. What was he going through? Well, he, okay. <laughs> he, I don't, do you want like, like I'm not sure exactly well, what you're asking. So. Well, I'm asking because you had an, a perspective, because you came from this, like lots of moms don't, you had a perspective of, you know what, I know what an addiction is and I, I, I know how that feels to be in that place. So okay. what, what did you know he felt? I'll tell you, I'll tell you the experience we had right before Sons of Human. He, it was a Sunday and we were all downstairs, which is where our living room and computer and everything was. And my husband and I and our oldest son went upstairs for some reason. We were doing something upstairs. And in the five seconds that we were upstairs, my, my son had gotten on the computer and looked at something inappropriate. And when we came back downstairs, he had switched to something else or turned it off or something. And my other son got on and looked at the history and saw what my other son was, was 
looking at. And I kind of flew off the handle because I thought it would take, I thought that he wasn't doing it anymore because, you know, they lie and they tell you things. And so when we, when I saw him doing it again, I'm like, you're doing this again. And he fell to the floor sobbing and said, I hate myself. I can't stop. And as soon as he said that, I just started to cry. And I picked him up kind of. I mean, he was 15. <laughs> but I, I grabbed him. I, I wrapped my arms around him, and we both just cried together because I knew exactly what he was going through. I knew, you, you, you know, mom's a lot like, well, just don't look. <laughs> Which sounds really like that should be the easiest thing. But when you're in an addiction, it's not. It's not that easy. And I understand now the, the, the science behind it because your brain, your brain is smart. <laughs> and it's going to think of ways to help you feel better, to save yourself. You know, it, it's there to protect you. But you can program it to think that this thing that I'm doing is, is helpful. And when you're in the addiction, you do hate yourself. You think it should be a simple thing as to not do it anymore. But you you start to crave things because you realize that that's the thing that makes you feel better. And so you go back to it over and over and over. And you cannot, you cannot stop. You have to have clinical intervention to stop. There's no other way to do it. Some people very rarely can go cold turkey and quit and never have a problem. But that is a rare person. You need the help. You need the support. You need a team. You need a clinician. You need you need something more than yourself. Because, and it's not, it's not a, that you're a bad person. You've just trained your brain to think that this is the thing I need to soothe myself, to make myself feel better, to whatever it is i was when i was in my addiction i was filling a hole because my my life felt incomplete and i was empty and i was trying to fill the hole with something else and while i was acting out that felt great and my hole was filled but then it would be over and the hole was bigger than it it was you know i felt way worse than I did before I started the thing. And so I would go back to it and I would spiral out of control. It just, it, you can't understand addiction unless you've had an addiction. It's hard to understand it. And Marisa's done a great job in teaching us the chemical scale and why, what the brain does and why you go back to it and why you can't just quit doing it. Because once you, once you, those chemicals, you know, you feel good. Well, you're going to go back to the thing that makes you feel good. And it can be a bad thing. You know, now my, now my hole is filled with other things. You know, I have, I have the spirit and I have my husband. I have my savior is right there, you know, and I don't have a hole there anymore. People that have the same addiction. I have a friend who's in it and she goes, you don't even talk like an addict. And it's because I said, well, you have to give it up. One of the first things they teach you in the anonymous class, you know, there's AA and there's stuff for other kinds. SA is sexual addiction. Um, Sexaholics Anonymous is SA. 
and AA, all those all those twelve step programs. The first step is to give it up to God, and a lot of people think that they've done it, but then they go back to it, and that's not that's not giving it up to God, because when I finally realized that I could not do it on my own, and I, you know, they talk about the godly sorrow and all that stuff. When I finally did that, I could feel, I could literally feel a weight off my shoulders. And it was like my Savior was saying, I've been waiting for you. I can do this for you. I was just waiting for you to ask me to. Because God won't do it unless you ask him. You know, you have your agency. And I knew, anyway, that's a long convoluted answer to your question. But I knew that that's, as soon as my son said, I hate myself and I can't stop, he, I knew exactly what he was, exactly. I've had that feeling. I knew exactly where he was, and I knew he needed something other than me praying for him. You know, he needed to find something for himself that would help him. And you can't, like I said, it's the rare person that can do it by themselves. I don't know anybody, anybody that, that has, I've heard people say they've done it, but I, I don't know. <laughs> you need you need a team, and you need people that are trained to help you. So to get out of it, otherwise you're stuck there. Yeah, so good. Thank you, Linda. That was beautiful. I think one of the things that's tricky because you mentioned your boy wasn't going to want to go to a group, and you didn't, and you said, "Well, he doesn't want to go. How am I going to get in there?" one of the things that I think that you described so beautifully there is just how we need a professional to help us align something that's broken, something that's out of line. Cause it's like our brain has been hijacked, right? That path there is just hijacked. And lots of times I have meetings with moms and they'll ask, Hey, he just won't go. He doesn't want to go. I just don't know what to do. And, and so I said, well, it might be time for you to pull the mom card. And the mom card kind of looks like this, especially if your child has broken a bone, then it's really useful to say, remember when you broke that bone or remember when so-and-so broke their bo- the bone in their arm or, or your finger and it was so crooked and weird as your mother, how weird would it have been for me to just look at your broken bone and say, darn, you have a broken bone. I sure hope you can fix that. You know, I I would have done everything in my power to make sure that you got all the help you needed to realign that bone, take you to the right people that could fix it, get you the right treatment that you needed to make that so that you could heal correctly. Because I would know if I leave your bone broken like that, then it's going to heal broken and you're going to be broken for a long time you're going to be walking funny or that's not that hand's not going to work for you and that's really literally what's going on in someone's brain they really need treatment like someone who has a broken bone and so anyway that analogy has kind of helped a lot of moms to to explain to their sons we can't see it but that that's what's going on here and i would be irresponsible and wouldn't be a loving parent if I didn't say, I'm sorry, we're taking your broken bone to get some treatment. Right. So anyway, but Linda, I was just going to ask you 
um, you started describing the science behind things and how how valuable it is to know the science behind things. And you came to Mothers You Know for a couple years. And then you just sent me a note one day and said, hey, I think I want to take that Eternal Warriors class. And so you started in Eternal Warriors. Tell me, because is it when you got into Eternal Warriors that you figured out the science behind all that? Or was that something you already understood in Mothers You Know? Well, I had, I had read Like Dragons Do They Fight. Oh, yeah. And I have the new book now, which is a better because they revised it and it's got a lot more detail. So I kind of, before I started Eternal Warriors, I kind of thought I knew everything. <laughs> I knew about the chemical scale. I knew addiction through my own experience. And I thought, let's, let's put it this way, I thought I understood the chemical scale. You know, I have, I have learned I, through my own personal stuff, I've learned about the brain, um, about training your, there's things that you can do to change your story. Your brain, you know, stores things, and those, that's what those flashes are that Satan sends you, is those things that you stored that come, like, Remember when you were a little kid and you really liked sugar and it made you feel happy and you know those kind of things. Satan Satan uses those because he knows he knows the he knows the science. He knows what our brains are capable of, which isn't fair because he doesn't have a human brain. <laughs> he doesn't have what we have. But anyway, um, so I had learned some of that before, but. When I started taking Eternal Warriors, it became a lot more clear. And you don't have to have an addiction to go through the chemical scale. Everything that we need to master, everything natural man, all of that has to do with the with the chemical scale and the whole science behind why smart people do stupid things. Isn't that what Marie says? Smart boys, smart people do stupid things. It's because, because we program our brains to think these things are good and healthy and, ha- and make us feel good, and they do make us feel good, but they're natural man things, you know, and, and they're, not, they're not good for our, our spirit. And that's why after you, you know, go on a sugar binge, you feel so awful. You may have a stomachache, but you also feel awful and guilty because you think you should just be able to quit it. As my son, as my husband says, quit it out. You know, <laughs> you should just be able to do that. But, but, and so you're, you're being yourself up and that's Satan's tool. He's like, well, yeah, go ahead, beat yourself up. That's what I want to see. And like I said, Eternal Warriors made it so much more clear to me. I still have demons. I still have things I need to overcome. I call it the Oreos and potato chips. <laughs> you know, there are things like that that just, and it's not it's not necessarily an addiction. We all go through it. And to know, to understand the science, it just makes it so much easier to figure out why, like I said, smart people do stupid things. And it's such an incredible thing to know too, because it helps us instead of thinking, what is wrong with me? Or what is wrong with you? Because logically, it makes sense. Why would you do something that's hurting you? 
Why would you do something that's hurting me? You know, we get in that place and then we take it so personally because it is, it's hurting me. What you're doing is hurting me or what I'm doing, I know is hurting me. It, it's really something that isn't good for me. It's hurting me. So when you understand the science behind it, I think it helps you have a lot more empathy for what the natural man is, but mm-hmm. also just empathy for people in tough places where they literally are in some bondage and you can have more patience with that because you recognize, oh, you know, if I'm going to take somebody to the doctor with a broken bone, it's not like the, the doctor just says, here you go. We'll just tell them not to have broken bones and put that back together and right. then they'll just go on their way. No, it takes a long time. And I think, I think it can help moms that like, you know, not every mom has gone through addiction herself, so she doesn't understand it. But I think it can help people that the people watching their child or their husband or whoever go through this, it helps you understand why they're doing it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's more, it helps you have the empathy you need. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so good. What else have you learned from eternal warriors or mothers who know that you've just, that's been significant for you? One of the biggest things, and I felt this huge weight lifted off my shoulders as soon as I learned this, and it was through mothers who know, was that um, my son has a savior and I am not him. Because as mothers, we feel like we should be saving our kids all the time. That's what our job is, right? But it's not. That is not our job. And every time I look at my child and think, oh, my gosh, he is screwing up his life. He's messing up his life. He's going to go to hell, you know, <laughs> whatever, whatever you're because there are, there are times when you're like, why is a child? He's just I, I could tell, you know, I've been through that with I've gone there. I've you know, I've had life and I, he's making the same mistakes I did. Oh, my gosh. How stupid can you, you know? There's you, you think these things about your kid. You may not say them to you to him, but you're thinking it. And so we want to save them. It's our instinct as a mom, but we do not have that power. We do not have that power. The only person that can save him is his Savior, Jesus Christ, and I am not him. And that was like a huge burden lifted off of me because when you can accept that, and actually believe that and live your life that way, I don't have to worry about saving him. That is not where I, that's not my job. And it was like a, it was like a huge weight was taken off of me because when I realized that he has a savior and I am not that, that's not my job. It was, it was a huge weight taken off of me because I really felt like I was supposed to save him. You know, one of our models in, in Mother's you know, the model is stay by the tree. And I wanted to go where he was and drag him back to the tree. And as you know, that, that never works. You get lost yourself in trying to drag people through the tree. You can beckon, you can cheer your guts out, but you can't drag them. And once I realized, when I, when I realized that I was not his savior, that was not my job, it was life-changing. It was, oh my gosh, you're right. I don't have to do that. It's not my pro- It's not my job. It's not, I don't have to do that. It's not my burden to carry. 
It was awesome. Yeah. So what do you do instead? Because it is wonderful to get that, that like, oh, but then you think, but my mode has been to save you. So now what do I do instead? Like, what are some of the things you did instead that were helpful? Well, once I learned that I didn't have to save him, I, like I said, it was a huge burden lifted and I felt like, okay, well, I don't have to do, but, but I cheer. I cheer my son on. I love him to death. That Those are my prerogatives. Those are my jobs. Those are what I do. And so I am his number one cheerleader. And I tell him almost on a daily basis that he is awesome and that he has got this and that he is the best kid ever. And we have a very good relationship, my child and I. So he will tell me, well, mom, I'm still losing battles or whatever, you know, but it's, it's okay because he knows that I'm not going to say, well, you're an awful kid because I know, I know who his savior is. I know who his, who his advocate with the father is. I know what the savior can do for him. And so my job is to cheer him on and to love him unconditionally and to, that's what I do. I pray for him. You know, um, I asked for the Savior to help him. But other than that, that's that's what I do. I cheer him and I love him. And we don't talk about his addiction all the time. Because like I said it, it, earlier, that's not what who he is. But when, it, when you first get into it, that's all you can see. It's the big, big picture to you anyway. But the great kid that you knew is still in there. He's just... He's just got something he has to overcome. And once they, once they start to see that and feel their self-worth come back, you'll, the, he, they change. And they come back to being the, the great, awesome person that they were. And so, yeah, that's, that's my job. Those are my jobs. And I like those a lot better than trying to save him because that was just painful. Oh, excellent. And how about in Eternal Warriors? Is there a significant thing that you learned that you'd like to share? Yeah. My big epiphany in Eternal Warriors is, I think it might even be the first lesson, is every voice in your head is not a trusted voice. Because Satan minions, they're all around you all the time, every day, several times a day. You'll get a thought that you think is yourself. (laughs) And that was a big thing for me. I remember coming to Eternal Warriors going, you know what? I say things all the time that sound like me. It's my voice in my head saying these things. And it sounds like something I would say, but it, the thing I'm telling myself is not going to serve me. And I know it's not me. When I hear something that's not going to do me good, I know it's not me saying it, but it sure sounds like my voice. And once I learned that, I learned I pray for the spirit of discernment all the time so that I can catch those things because they are very, very, and it's not like big, huge, go rob a bank or something because Satan knows I won't do that. But he will tell me to binge Netflix and that sounds like a perfectly good thing to do today, you know? (laughs) Or like I said, Oreos and potato chips. He just tells me little things like that. The sound, they even sound like a good idea. Like, okay, well, I can take a day off and just, you know, do nothing or whatever and just watch this show on Netflix. It's okay. And it sounds like me. It totally does. But then I think, oh, wait a second. (laughs) 
how is this going to really serve me? And it's not. And it's not going. It's not going to do me any good. But it sounds like me. And it's it's Satan doesn't play fair. He really doesn't play fair. He uses your own voice to trick you. And you know they talk about those silken threads in the in the scriptures. That's what those are. Those little tiny things. I do not believe in negative self talk. I don't think you talk to yourself that way. That that's not you. That's not your voice. And so when when you hear that psycho babble about negative self talk, it's not a real thing. Those are Satan minions at work. I firmly believe that. Ah, uh, well, when when I ask you about doing an interview for a podcast. You said, oh, I don't know why you'd want to interview me because, because I don't have a success story. Like, I, I, I'm not the girl. I think you should, you know, that's not me. And I said, well, but you're just what you've learned for you is such a success story. And you can see that your son is a success story in so many areas, but he's still working on this area. And that has so much value for mothers who are in the same place. So tell us just a little bit about where you're at now and, and how you're dealing with what, where the journey is now. Well, I remember one of the mothers, you know, we had a special guest and she's the um, person in charge of the worth group. Uh, Jennifer was a Jennifer Johnson that came in. She did this lesson that was really valuable to me because she said the way that you, how did she put it? The way that you stay by the tree and take care of your family is to take care of yourself. She said, you need the way that you, I can't remember the words that she said. I wish I had that note or something, but she said, this is how you do it. You, you self care. And it sounded so wrong to me at the time because I'm like, if I'm taking care of myself, how is I taking care of everybody else? But she said, you know, and her self-care was things like if you're reading your scriptures, if you're saying your daily prayers, if you're writing your letter to God, if you're doing those things, not not that I'm sitting in a bubble bath and, you know, <laughs> although those things are good for you too, you know, if you're taking care of yourself, then everything else falls into line. And it's so, it's so true. And no, my child is not done. He actually, he, he doesn't go to group anymore and he should because he's still struggling with these things. But it doesn't feel like the hopelessness that it did. And a lot of it has to do with what I've been doing for myself. The more I improve myself, it, and she was right, the more I do things that sound selfish almost, you know, that I take care of myself, those things, those things that I am learning, it blesses my family. You know, my, my husband has this thing that when the, the queen is happy, the land is happy <laughs> because we are the atmosphere angels. It's true. And if my mood is black, my house is black, you know, I think that that's, the errand of angels that they say, those things that you hear that the women of the church, the women have, all women have, that's what being the atmosphere angel is all about. And when you learn how to 
align yourself with, with God's will and rely on your Savior and his atonement. The atonement is so much more than repentance. People need to learn about the atonement because it's so much more than repentance. It does so much more for you. It is, it is the biggest, hugest, awesomest gift that we have. And you can, you can use it on a daily basis, not just to repent. It helps you in so many other ways. And when you rely on those things, the queen is happy and the land is happy. And it makes, it makes a big difference in your home. Yeah, so as you're strong, you can see that my son isn't getting it all together in that area, but I don't need to fly off into a place of fear and think he's going to fall in a pit and that's going to be the end of it. Right. Good, because you're in a strong place where you can see the Savior's got this and I know who he is and who the Savior is and where he's still marching on his journey, figuring it out. Um, Do I still worry about him? Yeah, I'm his mom. You know, I do. But I don't, I don't, I'm not scared anymore. I don't, you know, fear is not of the, fear is of the adversary. That's a, that's a bad place to be. I, I don't stress about him. I do worry about him and I continue to pray for him. And, you know, I just know that Satan's got him, or not Satan, but the Savior's got him. Savior's got him, and he will do what he needs to do. I need to get, that's one of the things that we learn also is get out of the way for the Holy Ghost to work. If you're in his way, you can't get in there. And it's just, like I said, what I've learned through Mother's, you know, what I've learned through Eternal Warriors has changed my attitude about the whole thing. I need to take care of myself. And the things that I've learned and the things that I do bless my family and the Savior will take care of the rest. I don't have to. It's awesome. That is awesome. Uh, And, oh, Linda, I'm so thankful for you. Thankful for you in my life personally, just to know you. I'm so grateful for all all of your effort. You've been such a great voice for good and endurance in mother to know and just such a wonderful, incredible person to, to be around. I'm just so grateful for you. I'm thankful for your willingness to do this podcast. And before we go, um, is there anything that you'd just love to say to another mom? I, I guess that the thing I would say to other moms is to don't give up, you know, It may be a really long journey. I've been in this fight for five years and it's still not over. So don't give up. And your kid is still that great, amazing, awesome kid you had. He's just struggling with something right now. And the best thing you can do for him is to let the Savior handle it and just cheer him on and love him as best you can. But don't worry about the rest. There's other people bigger and stronger than you that are taking care of him in that way. And your job as a mom is just to love him or her and to cheer them on. And that's all you have to do. The rest is up to Jesus. So, Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you, Linda, for, for being here. And thank you for listening. 
to the podcast. It's under the direction of Life Changing Services. And if you'd like to know more about Life Changing Services and the programs we offer, you can go to lifechangingservices.org. Thanks.